0: right on into the word today. Father, we bless your holy name today. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in our life. And Lord, we thank you for what you're doing today. Lord, we thank you for the, the moving and the operation of the Holy Spirit in our life. Lord, we pray that each and every one of us, Lord, would have a heart to receive your word. Lord, we ask for that anointing to be upon the word, that it would it would do all that you desire it to do. Lord, I ask for that anointing today to preach and teach as you desire. Lord, we all ask for the anointing that we can hear and receive all that you have for us today. And Lord, we give you all the honor. We give you all the glory and we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1, I want to begin in verse... Number six, uh, well, we'll begin in verse number five, but Paul here is writing to the church in, in Philippi, and, you know, this is the place where Paul went to prison at, and as Paul was a prisoner here in the city, it was praise and worship and power of God that set him free. Amen? And, you know, one of the things that we see in the life of believers is that sometimes as we go through our journey with God, we find ourselves in situations that are uncomfortable, and I want you to know today that even when you find yourself in an uncomfortable situation, that God, the comforter, has promised to be by your side. You know, there's, there's a difference. As, you know, as, as, as the children of God, we, we never want to be in an uncomfortable situation. When you raise children, you never want them to be in an uncomfortable situation, right? But as a parent, the best thing you can do is teach them and train them how to fight, train them how to how to go about business, train them how to be a responsible person, because there's going to be those times and those situations where we get into uncomfortable places. But as the children of God, we have the comforter with us in those situations. And I want you to know that God wants to show himself real in your life today. Uh, one of the things that as I was praying over this message today that God just reminded me of was the story of Ruth. How many of you remember Ruth? Ruth was an amazing woman of God, but she didn't start out that way. She was, you know, from Moab, and she was, you know, not the, not the best choice that Israel would have. They would consider her a reject. And, and it was Naomi, her mother-in-law, that when her husband died, she followed Naomi back to Israel. And Naomi tried to get her to stay. Do you remember this? Naomi said, stay. And Ruth said, famously, right? Your God's going to be my God. Your people's going to be my people, right? One of the things that I I think back as as the Lord was reminding me of this story of Ruth is that she made a momentary decision. In that day, in that hour, Naomi said, go back. And Ruth said, no, your God's going to be my God. Your people's going to be my people. I'm going with you. How many of you know, right? That was a momentary decision, but she had to live that decision out. The rest of her life. Think about that. She made a one-time, it was a one-moment decision. It was a make or break. She went broke for God. Hey, come on. She said, she said goodbye to Moab. How many of you got a Moab in your past? She said goodbye to Moab. She said goodbye to it, and she said, I'm going to the people of God. I'm going to where God is, and in that one moment, she made a one-moment decision, but she had to walk in that decision the rest of her days she didn't go back to moab it's kind of the opposite of lot's wife isn't it think about this lot lot had a wife and and god through his mercy and grace gave them an opportunity to escape destruction to escape the judgment of god and she said yes to god's grace think about it lot's wife said yes to god's grace I mean, she could have stayed back in Sodom and Gomorrah. She could have stayed and party till the, the fire fell on the city. But there was a moment in time when God said, look, you need to get out of town because judgment's coming. Come apart unto me. And Lot's wife said yes to God's grace. But somewhere along the way, she didn't continue in the decision she made. She didn't continue in that decision she made. And see, that's different with Ruth. Ruth continued in it. And Ruth now, her, you know, her family lineage is in the lineage of Christ. Now, one of the things that we see here in this book of Philippians chapter 1, it says in verse 5, Paul, well, let's, let's start with verse number one, uh, 3. Let's start with verse 3. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requ- request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel, from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. See, the the thing is that you want to see in this verse is that God started something in you. God started a work in you. How many of you did God start a work in? Now, the power is not in you. The power is in God. God did the work. All you did is say yes. All you did is surrender. All you did is humble yourself. All you did is believe. The power is in the, in the preaching. The power is in the cross. The power is in the blood. The power comes from God. And it was a work of God that started something in you. And if it was God that started it, it's God that's going to continue it. He said, if God started it, he's also going to perform it. That means he's going to continue the work that he did in you. But you've got to continue to say yes. You've got to continue to stay humble. You've got to continue to stay broken. You've got to continue to come to God empty handed. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. You've got to continue to come to God with a broken and a contrite heart. And God will continue to perform the work that he began in you at the beginning. One of the things that we see in this verse is how important it is for you to know and understand. The work that God started must be performed. The work that God started must be performed. What God starts, He intends to finish. Let me say it like that. What God starts, He intends to finish. Now, think about it analytically. Think about it analytically. If God didn't need to perform that word, Paul wouldn't have written it. But there must be a performing of what God began in you. There must be a continuing. There must be a drawing. There must be a renewing. There must be an ongoing work of God in you. And I want to share with you something about that today because God wants to show you something. God wants to show you something. How many of you know that God's powerful to save? Is he powerful enough to save the liar, the murderer on, on death row? Is he powerful enough to save the prostitute, the harlot, the drunkard, the fornicating, homosexual? Is he powerful enough to save Republicans and Democrats? Is he powerful enough to save rich and poor, black and white? Amen. Is he powerful to save? If he's powerful to save, he's also powerful to sustain. What God starts, he can finish. Somebody say amen. What God starts, he can finish. If he started a work in you, he can finish that work in you. He didn't. He, somebody one time said, God don't make junk. God don't make junk. And if God started something in you, it's because he's doing a work in you. And now we learned this past Wednesday night, one of the things that he's doing is he's working in you. He's conforming you to the image of Christ. He's working in you, He's conforming, He's working in your life, conforming you to the very image of Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, the work that God started, He will sustain. I want to I uh, bring this out in uh, let me bring this out in First Thessalonians chapter five. I don't know if we're going to uh, get all of this in, we may have to finish this tonight. First Thessalonians chapter five. I think one of the questions that people have is, you begin, to get, you begin to go forward with God, a work of God begins to happen in your life. And you know that God's able to deliver you from that darkest hour of your life. But what sometimes the enemy's really good at is getting us to be naive to the fact that God can deliver me from the hour of trial today. Now we can look at the big things and we can say, yeah, God can save the drunk, but can he save the depressed? Come on. God can save the, God can save us every day, every moment. God can perform the work that he began in us. Let me show you this in, in first Thessalonians five, verse 21, it says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this passage here, a lot of things that you can point out in there, but notice that every bit of you, your body, your soul, and your spirit, all facets of who you are, God is able to preserve. Not only preserve enough to get across the finish line, but preserve blameless. The word preserve in this passage in the Greek means to guard. In other words, God can guard you both bodily, both in your soul and in your spirit, all at the same time, all the way to the very end of your race. How many of you got a race that God's given you, right? And God has called us to finish that race. God has called us to be faithful to the very end. And one of the most important things we can do as believers, one of the most important thing that we can do as believers is to seek the Lord, is to seek the Lord. And and God can begin to do that work in us. It says, the God of peace sanctify you wholly. It's not me sanctifying me, it's not my effort sanctifying me. It's not my church sanctifying me. It's not sacrament sanctifying me. It says it's the God of peace that sanctifies me holy. And I want you to know that that God of peace wants to sanctify you. The word sanctify means to make pure, to make holy. God is able to make you who he wants you to be. How many of you know God's perfect? Peter said, be ye perfect, for God is perfect. Be ye holy, for your heavenly Father is holy, right? And, and that work that needs to be done to make you who you need to be comes from God. The work that you need to do, the work comes from God. God is able to purify you. God is able to make you who he needs you to be. When you stand before God, you're not going to be a, a, a former harlot. You're not going to be a former liar. I'm not going to be a former drunk. Jesus said, you know, that, that it's in his blood that those things are washed away. God said in the Old Testament, as far as the east is from the west, he would remember those things no more. And when God sanctifies a person, he sanctifies them through and through. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see our faults and our failures from the past. He sees the blood of Jesus that has cleansed us and forgiven us. And now I'm not standing in my own righteousness, which is filthy rags, but now I'm standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When he sanctifies a man, when he sanctifies a woman. he puts upon them the righteousness of christ and when god looks at you he sees purity he sees holiness he sees what he's done through the work of the cross it is the work of the cross that has cleansed you it is that blood that was shed on calvary's hill that purchased you that cleansed you and when god looks at you he sees the blood applied to you amen God doesn't look at you from your past. He looks at you at what God's doing in you right now. And what you need is you need the God of peace to sanctify you wholly right now. You need the blood applied to your soul. Amen. Those Hebrews back in the Old Testament, they had to apply that blood to the doorpost of their home so that that angel of death would pass by. Amen. It signified that they belonged to God. It signified that they were of the house of God. It signified when that angel of death passed by, he didn't even look in. He didn't even take a peek inside that door. All he did is he saw there's blood been applied to this home. There's blood been applied to this home. And he just went on by. And I want you to know when God looks at you and that blood's been applied to you, he don't look past that blood. He just says, Hallelujah, blood's been applied to that one. That one belongs to me. And he just passes right on by. Amen. Hallelujah to God. Amen. So he said it's it's the it's the very God of peace that sanctifies you holy. It's not your effort. It's not your effort. You don't memorize scripture to get sanctified. You don't have to stand on your head to get sanctified. You don't have to click your heels three times to get sanctified. It's you humbling yourself and receiving the work of Christ on that cross. It is his blood that sanctifies you. It is the cleansing blood of the lamb that sanctifies you. When you put your faith in what Jesus did, God goes to work in you. God goes to work in you. Amen. And I want to tell you something. I'm glad that it's God that's working in me and not a man. Amen. Because men fail us, but God never lets a person down. Amen. God never lets a person down. He's the same. He never fails. Amen. Now, one of the things that we see in this, I read verse 21 and uh, 22, which you may think, oh, they don't really apply, but they really do. Because one of the things that you need to see as as God begins to work in us, now, uh, again, I'll point out to you that it's your, your, your spirit, your soul, and your body that God desires to preserve blameless to the end. And that spirit, soul, and body, you need to give to God. And one of the ways that we see that is you're supposed to prove all things, test them. Prove all things means before you engage in something with your body, your soul, or your spirit, you need to make sure that it's endorsed by God before you enjoin to it. Before you go somewhere, you need to make sure God wants you to go there. Before you engage in something, you need to make sure God wants you to engage in that something. Prove all things is a command. It's not a suggestion. God doesn't say if you want extra credit on the day of judgment, prove everything. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say, if you want an extra crown, prove things. He just says, prove all things. You know, sometimes when, you're, when your parent says something like that, you need to listen. Like sometimes a parent says, hey, look, if you clean your room, I'll take you to the movies. It's like a, you know, kind of conditional thing. But this was just like a clean your room. You know you need to get to business. And God here is just giving this command, like, prove all things. Like, before you allow your body to do something, prove it. Go to God. Say, Lord, is this something that is endorsed by you? Before I give my body to a substance, I'm going to ask the Lord, is this substance okay? Okay. Before I take my body somewhere, I'm going to ask the Lord, is it okay to take my body somewhere? Before I take my soul and invest my soul in something, I'm going to ask the Lord, is it okay to put my soul in this? You see, one of the things that they say is that, that uh, drugs, like marijuana or something like that, is like a doorway into the demonic. Drugs and pornography is one of the doorways that the enemy uses to get into your life, but it always starts bodily But it infects both soul and spirit See the enemy doesn't want to just destroy your body. Come on somebody The enemy doesn't want to just destroy your body. He wants to destroy every bit of you Amen He wants to destroy every bit of you. He, he doesn't want you to get to jesus Jesus he doesn't want you to get to Jesus. He wants you to stay away from the Lord. He wants you to stay awake from, he wants you to stay away from the power of God. He wants you to stay away so that he can. And one of the one of the ways that you know that the enemy's working on somebody is he gets them to kind of uh, he gets them over there by themselves. He pushes them away. And they begin to close off. They begin to clam up, and the enemy begins to work on them. He says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Not just the act of evil, the appearance of evil. See, whenever whenever we engage in things, we need to make sure not only are we not doing that which is evil, but we need to make sure we're not even engaging in an appearance of that which is evil. I'm not even supposed to give the enemy just a, a little bit of a foothold, right? I'm not supposed to give the enemy just any kind of leeway in my life. I'm, I'm, everything I do, I'm surveying that thing, and I'm making sure not only am I not doing something that's wrong, I'm not even giving the appearance of something that is wrong. We don't even want to give the enemy any kind of inroad, not only in our own life, but in the life of others. One of the things that we see about the appearance of evil, one of the reasons why it's important is because it helps your brothers and your sisters in the Lord. Now, see, I'm, I'm a former alcoholic, so I'm not going to go, shoot, you know, I'm not going to go pull up to the liquor store and cash a check there, right? Because that's oh, the only place I can cash a check. I'm going to go cash a check. And then I, somebody sees me walk in a liquor store and walk out and they say, oh, pastor, pastor done fell off the wagon. Pastor done fell off the wagon. And I said, oh, no, all I was doing was cashing a check. But how many people saw you go in there and said, oh, if pastor can get drunk, so can I? Right? So we don't even give the appearance of evil. I don't even want to go in there because I don't, I want them to go out of business. I'm praying these liquor stores out of business. I'm praying them out. Amen? I don't want to give them any of my time because I know what they've done in my I know how they've destroyed me, and I know God delivered me from that bondage. I know God delivered me from that addiction, and I ain't a-going back in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. I ain't a-going back in Jesus' name. So I'm not even going to give any kind of credence to or validity to that entity. Amen? But even if I, even if I was, even if I was like, oh, you know, I just got to cash a check, I need to think about my brothers and sisters. I need to be like, what if one of them sees me do that? Even though I wouldn't drink, I'm not even going to go cash a check there because it could cause someone to see that and stumble. Amen. So one of the things that we one of the reasons why it's so important that you abstain from even the appearance of evil is that right there for your brothers and sisters. And secondly, you don't want to even defame the name of the Lord because some people are watching you and they're just waiting on you to stumble. They're waiting on you to give up. They're waiting on you to get mud on your face. They're waiting on you to quit. They're waiting on you to fall down. They're waiting on you to call it quits. So they can say, aha, I knew that stuff about God wasn't real. And it just gives. Now, they're just saying that because they don't want to come clean with God. And they're trying to find an excuse in your life to give them a reason to not get right with God. So it's important that you abstain from all appearance of evil as you do these things. It says that the God of peace will sanctify you wholly and preserve you. Preserve you blamelessly. Now, this is an important part I want to get in. This part is really important. You need to hear this part. You need to hear this part. In, in the book of Jude, let me show you the very first verse of the book of Jude. Let me show you something over here. The book of Jude. It says in verse number one, Jude. Jude. The servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you, peace and love be multiplied. Part I want you to see is that there's two works that's going on here. In the first work, it says, you are sanctified by God the Father. The, the work of sanctification we talked about previously is the work that, where God cleanses you by the blood. God sanctifies you by the blood of Jesus. If you're sanctified today, it's because the blood's been applied to you. Amen? If the blood's been applied to you, you're not who you used to be. Okay, you're not who you used to be. If you if the blood's been applied to your soul, you're sanctified not in part but in whole. The God of peace sanctify you holy. We just read it. The God of peace sanctify you holy. So if the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to your soul, you are now sanctified holy. Not who you used to be. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new in Him. Amen? Former things are passed away. God's done made something new in you. But look at this next part. You're sanctified by God the Father, but what? And preserved, key word, in Jesus Christ. You're, you're the preservation. The preservation. Preservation. It means to keep you in the state in which God found you. Come on, somebody. God, When God cleansed you, He sanctified you, and He intends to perform that work that He started. It said that He's faithful. He will perform the work that He began in you. And that performing of the work is God's preservation. That means what God started in you, He's able to continue in you. What God started in you, He's able to continue in you. How does He do it? He preserves you in Jesus. If you stay in Jesus, He'll preserve you. see, Ruth, as as she traveled with Naomi over to Israel, she stayed right with God. She stayed in relationship with the God of Israel. She stayed in relationship with Jehovah God. But Lot's wife, on the other hand, she started out going with God. She received God's grace. She walked out of the city. She walked all the way out of the city on the promise of God to deliver her. She was walking and God was preserving her. But there was a moment in time she stopped, turned around and looked back. And in that moment that she looked back, she was no longer preserved. Now she's a pillar of salt. So part I want you to kind of key in on today in this word is, is to be preserved in Jesus. There's something to this, and you need it. You need it. Let me tell you, God. when God preserves you, he doesn't sit you on a shelf in a jar and preserve you like biologists preserve specimens. You're not pickled. You're not like a cucumber in vinegar just pickled. That's not how God preserves something. I want to tell you, God preserves by fire. God preserves by fire and what you need to know what you need to know today is that it's the fire of God that you need in your life. It's the fire of God that you need in your life. We need a fresh touch of the fire of God in the church. The church world today is dormant for many reasons. We've given over to the the ideas of mankind we've allowed people to impose worldliness onto the church I don't know if you know this but you can go and you can learn about how to grow a church through any means necessary you can go to church growth conferences and you can go to you know marketing conferences and you can go to this and you can go to that but last time I checked it's only God it's only God that gives increase it's only God that gives increase amen it's only God that gives increase. You can, you can throw 500 people in a room, but that don't mean that God grew them. That don't mean that God did something. And what I want you to see today is that, number one, it's God that sanctifies, and number two, it's God that preserves, but he especially preserves in Jesus. Now, this part's key. You need to listen to this part right here. Um, turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. How many of you remember whenever Moses left Egypt? The first time. Not the second time. The first time. When Moses left Egypt that first time, he ended up being a shepherd at Jethro's house. Remember? And he was tending the flock, and he was over there in Midian, and and he was tending the flock, and all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, he saw that bush that was burning. We remember the story of the burning bush. The bush was burning, but Moses was intrigued by it because the bush wasn't burned up. It was just burning, but it wasn't burned up. It was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. The fire didn't go out, but the bush remained intact. You know, that's a a beautiful correlation about what God wants to do in your life. It's that that fire that doesn't go out and the bush that stays intact. There's a fire that God wants to start in you. There's a fire from heaven that God wants to send down upon you and that fire to never go out and the bush to remain intact. See, it says here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29, it says, Wherefore, We receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. That means that consuming fire, it means an ongoing, never-ceasing fire. Now, fire will do two things. I don't know if you know this, but fire will do two things. Fire will either destroy something or purify something. Fire will either destroy it or purify it. You're going to be made or destroyed by the fire of God. When the fire of God is applied to your soul, it's going to make or break you. It's either going to purify and remove all those infirmities. How many of you came, when you came to the Lord, there was a few infirmities? There was a few issues. We had a few hangnails. We had a few warts. We had a few issues. And yet it was the fire of God. As that fire of God applies to our soul, it begins to purify and refine our faith and our very being. God begins to do a work in us that man can't do. Only the Spirit of God can do this work. Amen? But there's others that the fire of God destroys. They can't handle it. They don't want it. You see, when the people of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, and, and they came over there into the promised land, and Moses introduced them to God on Mount Sinai, the glory of God came down on that mountain, and it said the glory of God has that consuming fire in the book of Exodus, and they didn't want to go to it. Because when they saw the fire of God, they began to say, we don't want that. You go talk to that God for us. We don't want to get close to that God. And you know what? A lot of people today, they want to be around the things of God. They want religion. They want formality. They want to have their name on a certificate from the church. They want church membership. They want people to think that they go to church. But it's going to cost you something to go up that mountain and encounter that fire of God. Because the fire of God will purify and refine and remove what needs to be removed. The fire of God applied to your soul will begin to take you and make you who God wants you to be. We need to remember in this day and age who is the potter and who is the clay. God is the one that is forming and fashioning the people of God and he does it with fire. He applies that fire and he makes you pliable and he molds you and makes you into the person he's conforming you to be. We need to Remember that God is able to take out and bring in whatever he needs to take out and bring in. If God wants me to have it, I'm going to have it. Didn't Jesus say that? He said to seek ye the kingdom of God first, and all these things will be added unto you. If God wants me to have it, I'll have it. If he don't want me to have it, he'll take it out. But I trust the hand of the potter. I realize I am only the clay Now, how often does the clay look up at the potter and say, now you're doing this wrong? This is how people talk today. You talk to somebody like Jesse Duplantis. Oh, if I talk to God, I'm going to tell him. They do that kind of stuff. You can't do that to God. You're the clay. You're the clay. He's the potter. That that clay don't look up to the potter and say, "You're, you're, you're bending that too far. You don't know what God's doing. God's got a purpose for what he's doing in you. He's making something beautiful. And the work that God started in you, he's able to perform until the day of Jesus Christ. What we need, amen, what we need is to to learn to say yes to the Lord and allow him to do what he needs to do in us. Burn away what needs to burn away. Strengthen what needs to strengthen. Bring forth what needs to bring forth. But Lord, remove anything that needs to be removed. That's what that fire does. When somebody's making a, a, a sword in the fire, you know they take that metal and it looks like a—I don't—it looks like a pole or something. But they stick it in the fire and they begin to beat that thing. They begin to beat it, and that fire begins to remove all the infirmities out of that metal. And when it comes out, it's forged. It's not the same shape that it started out, and it's also stronger than when it went in. And it's the fire that purified it, it's the fire that forged it, and it's the fire of God that will take you and mold you into the man or woman of God that he's called you to be when the word of God here says that our God is a consuming fire my mind goes immediately back to that bush that was caught on fire holy of God but the bush was not consumed the bush was not destroyed the bush was left intact but God used that bush to accomplish his means and I want you to know you can be a bush for God People can look at you and say, man, that that guy is on fire for God, and he hasn't run out yet. He's like the Energizer Bunny. All he does is talk about God. All he does is worship God. All he does is glorify God. All he does is testify about God. All he does is sing about God. All he does is pray unto God. That man is on fire. That woman's on fire, and she don't quit. She don't stop. She's not consumed. She's not destroyed. She's preserved by the power of God. And I want you to know God will do that in your life. God will do that in your life. And listen to this, without that fire of God on our life, will we be preserved? It says we're preserved in Jesus. And I just took you to a scripture that says God's a consuming fire. You might say, well, okay, so God's a consuming fire. We're preserved in Jesus. How you connect those dots, pastor? Did you know that Jesus baptizes folks? Not with water. Did you know that Jesus baptizes folks and it's not with water? You look in the scripture, it says Jesus didn't baptize with water. Paul baptized just a handful of people in water. It wasn't wasn't baptism that God called Paul to, and it wasn't water baptism that Jesus does. See, we're preserved by the fire of God. It removes infirmities. It removes impurities. See, there's things going on in your life that I don't know about. There's things going on in my life that you don't know about. But I trust the fire of God in me, and I trust the fire of God in you. And as we get close to God, as we seek the face of God, as we stay in a place where we're surrendered to God, that fire of God will mold and make us, purify us, strengthen us, and equip us to be the man or the woman of God he's called us to be. And listen to me. I, you, you, this is, this is the thing, whether you stay in this church or not, don't matter. Whether you stay in Jesus matters, whether you stay in Jesus matters, you need to stay in Christ. And if you stay in Christ, there's a fire, there's a fire that is necessary to purify, refine, strengthen, and make you to the person God wants you to be. This is how God performs that work. Sh- let me show you in Matthew chapter three. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 3. Jesus does baptize, but it's not with water. Some of our theologians in the church already know what we're talking about. Matthew chapter number 3. One of my favorite stories is whenever the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to be baptized by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist didn't do what most preachers do today. If somebody wants to come get baptized today, most preachers say, okay, and they baptize them. John the Baptist turned these people away. When was the last time you saw somebody turn someone away from an from a experience like that? John the Baptist did. It says in Matthew 3, Verse number 7, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Now also also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. John the Baptist said, don't come unless you're coming with repentance. Don't come unless you're coming with repentance. So if these people were saying, hey, we see everybody else getting baptized. We came to get baptized too. And John the Baptist said, who warned you? Because it wasn't the Holy Ghost. They didn't have that. They weren't responding to a work of the Holy Spirit. They were just doing what everybody else was doing. Who warned you? It's time for these fruits of repentance to come forward. Now, this is the part I want you to see. Verse 11. John the Baptist said this, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he, speaking of Jesus, that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, the the thing that we want you to see here is that when when Jesus baptizes, he baptizes with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now, that's what John the Baptist said. The reason being is because Jesus knows what needs to go. Come on, somebody. Jesus knows in me what needs to go. And when he puts the when he when he baptizes me in the Holy Ghost and fire, he removes what needs to be removed. He purifies what needs to be purified. He strengthens what needs to be strengthened. He refines what needs to be refined. He molds and shapes what once was broken, what once was misformed. He begins to mold and shape that into the way he wants it to be. It is the fire of God that that we're talking about here. And he says that it's Jesus that baptizes with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now, most people here, one of the things that that they do is they say, well, we we need water baptism and we need communion in the church. Well, yeah, we need water baptism and communion. But what you need is the fire of God. What you need is the fire of God in your life. When the hand of God begins to search you and when the hand of God begins to try you and the hand of God begins to to move about your life, he will begin to put his hand on things that no person can see. You may be involved in an issue of sin that nobody else knows about. You may be in a bondage right now. You may be hiding something from someone. You may be committing something that you haven't told anybody, but God knows about it. And the closer you get to God, God will put his finger on it. God will put his finger on it, and he'll give you an opportunity to come clean with him. He'll give you an opportunity to have that thing purged. How many of you know that God purges us? God purges us. But it's the fire of God that we need in our lives. So God's ability to perform and God's ability to preserve is unquestioned. No doubt about it. God can preserve. God can perform what he started in you. If he saved you, he can keep you. Amen. If he started a work in you, he can finish the work that he started in you. But you have to make that choice just like Ruth did. As she began to go with God, as she began to go with Naomi, she could have turned back and went to back to Moab at any point in time. Could you turn back? Could you go back to your old lifestyle? Could you go back to your old ways? But some people do. And I want to tell you, it's the fire of God that will keep you preserved. If you stay in the fire of God, if you keep in the house of God, if you stay in the presence of God, if you stay close to the spirit of God, God will refine you purify you preserve you and empower you all the days of your life i I call back to you over there in first thessalonians chapter five it says that god will preserve you blameless until the day of jesus christ with your body your soul and your spirit god's ability is unquestioned but do you have a desire do you have a heart for it that's what god wants to know god has the ability but one of the things that we see is that in order for someone to be preserved with this, you need to know this. God doesn't preserve somebody just conceptually, but completely. Amen. God preserves somebody not just conceptually, but completely. One of my, I, I, I say this a lot, but one of my favorite things about God is that he's real. Amen. He, I mean, he really is real. We're not just talking about theoretical theology. We're not talking about concepts that we learned from a guru. I'm talking about there's a real God who's a real all-consuming fire. And if you really get down on your knees and you really seek his face, that fire of God will begin to burn inside of you. And the fire of God burning inside of you will do more than any teacher could ever do. The fire of God burning in you will do more than any Bible school could ever do. The fire of God burning in you will do more than any counselor, any helper, any worker could ever do for you. It's the fire of God that you need in your life. And if you'll humble yourself and ask the Lord to purge you, cleanse you, strengthen you, purify you, then God will. God said he will preserve you blamelessly. It says in First Thessalonians five. What does it mean to be preserved blameless? You know, any Christians that are blameless. You know, any Christians that are Blameless. What does it mean to be blameless? Let's go back over there to that passage as we close. We, we started there, 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. What does it mean to be blameless? I want to just talk about this for a second. What does it mean to be blameless? One of my favorite ministers of God was D.O. Moody. He said, fervent prayer, fervent prayer is a fire of God that'll keep the flies out. Fervent prayer is the fire of God that'll keep the fire out. You know, one of the things that we need to see in the church of God is men and women that are fervently praying. You know what fervent prayer means? It's a burden. It's a burden if you'll begin to fervently pray and fervently seek the face of God, that fire of God will begin to blow in your life again you won't be satisfied with anything less than God. If you truly begin to fervently pray and you begin to fervently seek the face of God, you won't be satisfied with anything less than than what is holy and just and true. You won't be satisfied with anything less than that which is true. You won't be satisfied not only with an act of evil, but the appearance of evil. You won't be satisfied with that. If you truly begin to fervently pray, the fire of God will begin to do a work in your life. I promise you God is faithful it says he said verse 23 the, and the very God of peace will sanctify you holy I pray God your whole spirit soul and body spirit soul and body be preserved blameless now your, your soul and your spirit is different your soul they say is your mind your will your emotions I just say it's who you really are on the inside you know, Martin Luther King, he had a dream. That was his soul. Dream. Where you dream at? What you really want. That's you. That's your soul. God can preserve that soul. Your mind, your will, your emotions. Your spirit, that definitely, we know that comes from God. doesn't it? And your body. God has the ability to purify our bodies. Now, I already told you that we've all come short of the glory of God. We've all walked in mud and got mud on our bodies. We've all done that. But what we all need is the blood of Jesus to cleanse us so that we can start afresh, so that we can be cleansed by the blood of the lamb. And when God cleanses us, guess what? We're cleansed. You can't reach through the blood and pull somebody's title back over their head. Come on. I used to be a drunk, but you can't reach through the blood and apply that title to me no more. That's been purged. That's been purified. But if I start out and I begin to fall off and I begin to go a wrong way again, guess what? I can humble myself and I can confess my sin and I can turn from that. And you know what? God is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me. God is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me. But I've got to humble myself, and I've got to repent. Now, the word repent means to stop, to change, to go the different way. That's what I've got to do. It says, the very God of peace sanctify you holy." and I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that word uh, preserved, it means to be guarded and protected by God. To be guarded and protected. Your spirit, your soul, and your body can be preserved, but it's preserved by the one that baptizes in fire. You see, you can't be preserved without the fire of God. You can't be preserved without the fire of God. There's things in our life, there's things in our life that people don't know about, but God does. Maybe there's bitterness or unforgiveness. Maybe there's resentment. Maybe there's a battle with an addiction. Maybe you've got a battle with pornography or you've got a battle with with lust. You've got a battle with drugs. Maybe you've got a battle with, with, you know, lying. You just can't stop. Maybe you're a thief. Maybe you're here today and you've just got shame. You've got shame. Can I tell you something? The fire of God will take away shame. The fire of God will take away shame. You know that the devil uses shame to keep people back from being the men and women of God he's called them to be? God uses shame. See, the enemy will remind you of your past and he uses that shame to keep you from being the man of God he's called you to be and he uses shame to keep you from being the woman of God he's called you to be but I thank God that Jesus uses fire because shame cannot continue through the fire if you want to be changed you come to Jesus and let God do a work in you he said that you won't be a modified you you won't be an enhanced you you won't be a, a you won't be a better than ever you you be a different you old things will pass away that old man dies with jesus in the grave but it's that new man that rises with jesus out of the grave out of the waters out of the baptism of death into new life and that's what god has called us to today and i want you to know shame will stay in the grave and if the, if the devil begins to bring that shame back, you go back to that point. That's what baptism's for. It, it clears your conscience. You say, no, I'm not who I used to be. I was buried with Christ in the baptism of death, and I've been raised to newness of life in Jesus' name. And it's the fire of God that will give you that word in that time. If you're not staying close to God when the enemy brings that railing accusation, you'll say, well, you know what? That is who I am. No, I've been changed. I've been covered by the blood of God. I've been given new life. I'm not who I used to be. Old things are passed away. All things are new in Jesus. It's the fire of God that we need to preserve us and keep us until the day of Jesus Christ. One of the things I want to do today is ask you to pray and just seek the face of the Lord. And if the fire of God needs to be applied to your life, whether to burn away shame, whether to make you a new person today, give you a new beginning. How many of you, you know, new beginnings are awesome. I love new beginnings. I love new beginnings. Sometimes the, the greatest work that God ever did in my life, I didn't realize I was going into a new beginning. Some of us, we don't realize when we're going into a new season. We look back at the old season, and we want to kick and scratch and claw to get back in the old, and we don't realize God's with us in the new. But Some of us, we just need a new beginning. i want to give you an opportunity of that new beginning at the feet of Jesus. We're going to open up our altars right now and give you an opportunity to come uh, and, and, and seek the face of the Lord. We're going to pray and, and all those that, that want to come. You know, that's what these altars are for. The Bible says that altars are where things go to die. All right? God's not impressed with altars. It's the sacrifice on the altar that moves the heart of God. These altars are beautiful. They're tear-stained. I thank God they're tear-stained altars in this church. That's one thing I wanted to have in our church is altars and a pulpit and pews. People in the presence of God. Amen. But these are tear-stained altars because it's not the altars that we need, but it's the sacrifice on the altar. And if you'll bring a sacrifice to God on that altar, the fire of God will come on it. If you're here today and you need a touch from God, I want you to just raise your hand. I want to pray for you right where you're seated. Thank Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray for you right where you're at. Just lift your hand to the Lord. Just lift your hand to the Lord. Just say, Lord, I need you. That's all you're doing. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit this morning. Lord, I thank you for every hand offered, every hand risen. Lord, we're testifying and signifying to you, God, that it's you that we need in our life. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of new beginnings. You are a God who cleanses and restores. You are a God who makes all things new. This morning, Lord, we ask that you would do a work in us. We pray, God, that you would purify, strengthen. Lord, that you would mold, shape. Lord, that you would renew. That you would pour out your spirit. Lord, we thank You that You've given us a place where we can come and we can lay down our burdens, we can lay down our shame, we can lay down our trials, our tribulations. We thank You, Lord, this day that You've given us an opportunity to come and be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, I ask this day, Lord, over every person that comes forward, Lord, I pray that You would pour Your Spirit upon them afresh. Lord, make us new today. In Jesus' mighty name, Jesus' name. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin.